1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park and as the Premier League return ramps up, plenty to get our teeth stuck into as always on the agenda today. Everton will have a shirt sponsor from the start of next season. Kazoo confirmed as the new shirt sponsor for the Blues. We'll also be talking the big announcement that came on Tuesday evening uh, confirmation that players, staff, board members have taken various deferrals and wage reductions to help with the club's finances and cash flow through this coronavirus crisis. And as we seem to have been talking about for the past few podcasts, injuries, Theo Walcott. Well sideline for four weeks uh, after going abdominal surgery and also Fabian Delph uh, with a bit of a scare, Andre Gomez too, but we will talk about that later on. Um, Gav, I'll start with you. Um, the club will have a new shirt sponsor from next season, as expected. Uh, what was your reaction when it was confirmed that it was Kazoo?
2: Um, well, he was Kazoo, This <laughs> is probably not the only person to uh, sort of react in that way, but um... Yeah, it's good. It means we be you know, we haven't got a betting partner which is the best betting sponsor. It's is I think ethically especially Everton with its close relationship with the community is, is important. It means we can have things when they said it's the first time since two thousand and four we can have the the, the, the sponsor yeah. on a on, on kids' shirts and stuff. That's right, yeah. Yeah <clears throat> no surprises with the amount. It's about what you would expect Everton in our current position to get each year. Um and so I think, you know, good, good news, really. I mean, I, I did have a right nice smile when you know, talk about ethics, saying that, you know, sponsored by a used, a used car, used car mm-hmm. dealership on the internet, when i from an age when used car dealers had, like, a very low reputation, as in, you know, as personified by Arthur Bailey in mind, you know. But things moved on, thankfully, since then. So, yeah, it, it's... Uh, it, it, it's good, good news. Um, and, uh, you know, steps in the right direction. I, I, think, I do like the ethics thing, though. I think that's important.
1: But, no, you know, as Gav said there, you know, I know a number of fans um, were uncomfortable with the uh, having a gambling company on the front of the shirt, whilst, you know, on the other hand, um, Everton and the community were. were tackling issues that sometimes would have been related to, to addictions come from gambling and the and, and whatnot. Um, were you, are you pleased to see the club move in a different direction? Certainly for front of shirt sponsor, anyone?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a, a huge step in the right direction. And um, it's one to be applauded. I mean, I think I'm right in saying as well, it's, it means that Everson will now be the only club in the Premier League to have a British-based sponsor uh, on their shirt front. It's not that that means a great deal, um, but just the fact that it's moving away from a betting company, I think, is you know, so quite a you know, a, a significant positive. Um, financially, you know, so it's a decent enough deal. That's, that's the most important thing, of course. But I think the fact that it's not a betting you know uh, partner anymore is that, you know, kids, children can now actually have the same shirts that their heroes wear, uh, which for me is a huge thing. Um, it's always left you a little bit uncomfortable that, you know, the younger supporters couldn't actually, you know, sort of mimic, you know, their heroes by having exactly the same shirts that they were wearing. So, yeah, you know, it ticks a lot of boxes. I mean, I've seen some, you know, should we call it banter, should we call it stick, you know, flying around, uh, you know, so no one knows who Kazu are, but not what you would call um, you know, a, a blue-ribboned, elite-level com- you know, company. So what? You know, So that's why they want their names on the shirts. We've been down this road many, many times. Uh, you know, who knew who Danka were when they took over? You know, so th- it's happened, Chang, you know, so it's happened an awful lot in the past. And that is why these companies want to have their names emblazoned on, a, you know, a brand as significantly high-profile as Everton. Uh, so, yeah, it lots of boxes. Very, very pleased with it. And uh, quite looking forward to seeing you know, the other new designs when they may be released.
1: And, of course, the brains behind um, Kazoo was the brains behind Zoopla, who, uh, who had briefly, well, for three seasons, sponsored West Brom. So they're familiar with the, the people behind this Are familiar with Premier League uh, sponsorship deals anyway. But, uh, Samuel, Preno, Preno says there, you know, it's, it's, a big, it's a big sort of tick in the box for, uh, for the Blues in terms of kit sales because kids now can have the, the full, full experience for the first time, well, in a long time.
3: Yeah, that that that's the thing, isn't it? The, you know, I think especially now in this in this modern age of of Twitter and stuff, I, I know people like to have a bit of fun with those kind of concept kits that you see people making. You know, some 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 talented people out there, and you do uh, you see some kits sometimes where they, they catch your eye and go, you know, bloody hell, that's nice. But you know, for, for once you get above the age of what fourteen, you're you're not really, I don't think, too. Too bothered about you know the what what the kit actually I mean saying that I think I have had every Everton top apart from this year's one, but um, but you're not really that bothered what it looks like it's for the kids isn't it I still remember that kind of excitement uh, you know certainly when I was in primary school and the Everton kit had come out and my mum and dad would buy the echo over morning so I could see what it looks like and then my dad would go to go the club shop and get it for me when I came home from school so. (laughs) <laughs> so they, they, they're what you, they're the memories that you do kind of have as a kid, and, and as Prenno was saying, that, that's who I'm probably made up for. That a lot of people will be able to wake up on Christmas or whatever this year and and have an Everton kit that looks exactly like the one that Richarlison and, and Calvert Lewin and, and Tom Davies and that and that way. So that's a really big plus, isn't it? And ultimately, it's exciting as well that it goes hand in hand with uh, a new a new kit supplier in, in Hummel. You know, uh, the supplier. A new sponsor, a new shirt sleeve, uh, and next season ultimately a, a new manager in his first full full season. You know, so it does seem on and off the pitch, real fresh starts, and uh, you know, as people have, as Gavin Prenum both said, you, I didn't know because he wear before that, but it doesn't really matter. How many teams in Premier League have got sponsors that are massive names, as as Perno said, and you know, hopefully the. Uh, the the deal can work both ways. That Everton kind of improve the Kazoo name, and, and hand in hand, their their shirt sponsors are kind of on famous pictures of years to come as we win trophies and and finish high up the table. That's ultimately what the bottom line is, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, here, here. Gav, just thinking, yeah. just just on 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 the on this sort of sector then, because you know, as it stands, including Everton the Sport, Pace. 10 of the 20 Premier League clubs have got a a, a main betting – a main um, sponsor as a a betting firm or gambling firm. Um, But it appears that with West Ham's deal with Betway, which is supposedly worth £10 million a season, it would appear there is a ceiling. Yes, there are many betting companies with budgets to sponsor football clubs, but there's a limit. If you're outside of the top six, there's a limit to that. So by moving sector – and moving into something which is a little bit more like what the top six would do, which would include tires and, and, and car manufacturing in that area. Yeah. Mean, is that not a step in the right direction in terms of trying to expand um the club's um potential for commercial growth?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of things to say is there's you know, the future there's a couple clubs there are vulnerable with better sponsors for two days like the future of the betting industry in itself is you know in the short term because of obviously what's gone on and also as well. We was talking about a parliamentary inquiry wasn't there? it was about whether yeah, it was yeah you know sort of ethically right for the clubs be sponsored by betting firms. The other thing as well for Evan being in an extra public risk it means we can now have an official betting partner, doesn't it? Mm. Which we're able to have under the previous previous sponsor. Which hopefully can generate, a, 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 you know, extra few bob. But yeah, I think it, it brings us more into line with, you know, the the so called bigger clubs and that. And, and I do think it, it ticks a lot of boxes as as Beno says. Um, and and I'm not saying our growth. We, we, I think Evan's commercial future I think, for me is, is the number of deals, not the total of an, an individual deal. So the more deals we can get is the is the thing, isn't it? So, as you say, we can expand our portfolio yeah. across different sectors of commercial deals. That's the only way, I think, in the short term that we can bridge the gap between us and, and the, the bigger groups.
1: I just want to pick up on something, there, Gav, that you mentioned there, because it is, although, as as we said earlier on, it it's, it will have been um, pleasing for fans, many fans, to see no longer see a gambling firm on the front of the shirt as you say, the, the club actually uh, certainly not ruling out a gambling firm potentially being on the sleeve. And, of course, now say that removing Sport Pacer from the front of the shirt, as you mentioned, Gav, opens up the opportunity to have betting partners either yeah. as a, uh, you know, maybe in different regions around the world. So this idea, you know, I don't want people to get the wrong impression that betting is suddenly off the table completely. Far from it, but it's just not going to be on the uh, f- front of the shirt.
2: Yeah, yeah, I okay. agree. It just opens up various avenues, and that's the way forward. This is a totally different top of these, and um, you know, and, and I think that that's a good thing. It would be, you know, at least at least with, a, you know, I think for a long time we've been accused of being of uh, inertia around our commercial strategy. Um, we've shown over the last twelve months that we are being a little bit more imaginative, progressive. You know, not massive deals, but at least we're, we're recognising that as that a source of additional income that may be under past regimes that may not have been the case. Mm.
1: Of course, Preno, um, the need for uh, improved commercial deals that, that, have, that have representing better value to the football club heightened uh, this week with the news that the club... Players, staff, board members, Carlo, his staff, uh, to help ease cash flow issues, uh, to help ease the impact in the short term, at least, of the fight of the coronavirus crisis, have so agreed to uh, a variety of wage deferrals uh, and reductions. Um, how did you? How did you react to Tuesday night's news?
0: It made me feel very proud. Um, I know Everton aren't the first club to do this. I think there's a couple of others. Southampton, I think, notably, you know, led the way. Uh, but it 's a sizable and significant series of steps, and I also like the way in which it was communicated uh you know with the supporters, obviously as a journalist you 're a little bit irritated that you know so we weren 't given it first, but you know they decided to send it out via a series of emails. Um, to support us directly, and it was buried deep down there as well. It was you know a message from Denise Barrett baxendale the chief executive, uh, urging fans you know not to you know, turn up at Goodison Park uh, for the Derby match, thanking them for their support etc and then quite low down, um, the fact that players had agreed to you know sort deferrals uh, that the nine uh, strong executive leadership uh, panel had taken pay cuts, as had the manager, as had a number of other people. Um and then also in there, the fact that you know Farhad Mashiri and Bill Kenright had agreed to, you know, to match the money that the supporters had pledged for the uh, you know the Eberson family to the tune of four hundred grand. It was just a series of you know sort of significant uh, bullet points that made you think that, you know, so Eberson is is a genuinely well-meaning, you know, so sincere. It left me with a warm glow, I have to say. Uh, we get so many things right off the pitch at Everton Football Club. doesn't always go right on the pitch, but, you know, so off the pitch, uh, certainly with Everton and the community and the Everton family and the Goodison legacy, so many things they do very, very well. And this was another of them. Um, you, you can't say anything but positives about it. And, okay, it sounds like you're scoring points a little bit, but coming so soon after, you know, so the other club across the park decided to furlough all their... Uh, all well, their members of staff. It just indicates that Everton do things the right way, and that was always the case when I was, you know, sort of a young fan growing up. Everton had a name of being quite a classy football club. Uh, weren't always great on the pitch, but Everton and Arsenal uh, were the two clubs that were always seen as being quite classy. Did things uh, in the right fashion, and this for me struck a chord, you know, along those lines. Uh, I thought it was an excellent piece of news, and I was thrilled to read it.
1: Some uh, Tuesday's announcement confirming that that certain players had uh, agreed to a deferral of their wages of up to fifty percent. Um, of course, no names mentioned. But would uh, who would you hazard a guess as potentially uh, been willing to sacrifice fifty percent of their wages for three months?
3: And I was thinking this before. It would be quite interesting to <laughs> know who who was who when you've got uh, the very uh, the usual suspects of of Seamus Coleman and and Leighton Baines almost definitely in there. But I think there's probably some who'd surprise you as well. You know, you've seen uh, how kind of like socially minded Richarlison has been since he's joined, you know, and he's often, you know, sent kits and, and other supplies back to Brazil, hasn't he? So, you know, it does seem like we've signed players who, who are quite conscious in in that respect. And, you know, it, it, it will be really nice to know that a, a lot of lads have have kind of went for the the larger pay cuts because, you know, uh, I always kinda and I think I've said it on the air a few times, I do sympathize with with some footballers because I think sometimes they can be a little bit demonized about how much money they earn when, you know, in, in in actual fact, you know, it's not exactly them asking to be paid seventy thousand pounds a week sometimes, it is just the climate. But equally then on the flip side, in in a time like this, uh, you would expect them to to know how much of a privileged position they're in, and even probably taking a 50% pay cut is still probably more than most people might earn in a year, two years, whatever. In 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 a month, you know what I mean. So it's it's crazy the amount of money we're talking about. And you you, you would like to think that the majority of that squad uh, have all said, look, you know, I'm I'm in a position to help and give back to you know a club that gives so much to the community. And if if we can help make a difference through that, then you know it's a it's a lovely little kind of sh- sh- subplot to. You know what's been such a terrible time across the world really
1: mm-hmm. Gavin, I suppose you know aside from the appreciation of of what the players and and other staff members and the board have, have done, I suppose the underlying issue is of course that there's been an, there's obviously been a need for this to happen um because yeah. you know and Denise did spell that out a little bit in in her her address where where she said that the actions of the players et cetera have allowed staff members to be paid and paid in full.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've ever been far more vulnerable than most clubs to this, this, uh, what's gone over the last few months. But the simple reason that our wages are so high compared to our turnover, it's highest in the league, I think 85%. So, we've only got to have a, a small drop in income and all of a sudden we haven't got the money to pay our staff. You know, um, so I think, I think, it, I, I totally Plano's totally and what Sam's saying there, but, it's another side of the coin it's something that really needed we have to do to, to you know to keep the club running and also ensure that low paid staff can you know need to be paid so it, it was something that needed to be done um, and you know I, I, I get it it was good to see as well is on social media in particular if there's a lot of people outside of the club you or the sort know, of play you know senior you know, former players from other teams who, who, who said what Penna was saying is like this is good, but this is what you would expect from Everton FC, you know, that touchy class, which I think is always good to see as well. That like it's not just Everton being self-congratulating and says, I'll make a great club other people who are neutral also were also very complimentary about it. And I think that reflects well on on the people who run Everton, to be honest with you.
1: Mm, absolutely. And I think I'll come back to you because you mentioned it. Um as you said, uh, Farhad Shirin and Bill Kenwright joining forces to match the donation made by supporters in the season ticket and lounge membership refunds, and, and I think that you know we we can't lose the second half of that of that equation. Great from from the chairman and, and the majority owner uh, to match it, but you know a significant show of generosity from from the, those supporters who opted at varying degrees to either. Give their refund they were owed from season ticket and lounge membership back, or for two games or one game, or whatever they chose to do, to the tune of £400,000.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm led to believe that, that they made that gesture because they were so moved and uh, so delighted, you know, with the, the steps that the Everton fan base had taken. I mean, uh, you know, so. Bill's made these gestures many times in the past. Um, You know, most recently with Speedo Mick, you know, when he just uh, slipped a cheque under his plate in the Goodison boardroom to the tune of, you know, God knows how many hundred grand. Um, You know, he is a very, very generous individual. Uh, But I know that they were absolutely moved by the fact that the uh, the Everton fan base had taken such charitable steps uh, to support, you know, sort of the club's charities and the Everton family. And it it sounds like a, a little bit strange, but, you know, a bit cliched almost, you know, so the Everson, the Everson family. You know, it's a phrase that is bandied about many times, but it does appear to exist. You know, so it is this huge, big hole of supporters and players, and you know, so you know, leadership all pulling in the same direction, all you know, so aiming towards the same goal. Yeah, we all want support, we have success on the pitch. Obviously, that's the the absolute priority. But there's so many other elements uh, of life in a society that Everton Football Club can benefit, and they're doing that so well, and they're doing it as a whole, you know, so as a togetherness. And uh, again, it's heartwarming to go back to what I said, you know. So when the uh, the story first came through, I felt a sense of pride, uh, and it is. It's not just you know the the football club and the powers that be that work there who deserve uh, support, uh, praise. It's the actual supporters that have made these uh, gestures and have made these. Um, these donations at a time when an awful lot of people are feeling the financial pinch. I mean, a lot of people have had, uh, you know, their wages cut. A lot of people are furloughed, you know, so a lot of people aren't working. A lot of people have been losing their jobs at the moment. So to actually make these steps, you know, so at that time speaks volumes.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Moving to uh, matters on the pitch. Um, we have confirmation that a week, a week on Sunday at seven o'clock, the 236, Merseyside derby will take place at Goodison. Decision was made uh, Wednesday morning. Um, Sam, is this a victory for common sense?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think it's a. We spoke about it, didn't we? It's just a, a decision that, that had to happen, and you know, it will be interesting to see how how it all plays out. But but definitely, in terms of of it being a victory for common sense, it, it would have just made absolutely. Why would it have been played anywhere else? But. I think as we said last week, you know, getting getting ready now to kinda of watch it on sky and, and next weekend and for there to not be anyone in the stadium and things like that is just increasingly uh, a bizarre prospect and, and very old school, isn't it? You know, some people who I know some of the games are being made free to air, so I think everyone should still have access to it. But, you know, there are gonna be some games with teams where people might not be able to see them and will be relying, you know, on the on the media and things like that to, to keep them up to date. So it's going to be a very, very uh, interesting time, but, you know, very, very happy to see that decision be made. And, you know, and then, and now we all just have a, a derby to look forward to at Goodison in, in such strange circumstances.
1: Do we, do we ever look forward to them? Um, Gav, um, did you, how strongly did you feel about Goodison being given the go-ahead to, to stage this game?
2: Well, we, we spoke, uh, I think, on the last pod last week, wasn't it? about, I think, we mentioned the importance of maintaining the integrity of the league, and we spoke about yeah. several different things, didn't we, VAR, that type of stuff, um, you know, that you need to retain that, because so, that's the rule for the entire season. You don't sort of stop a rule halfway through a campaign, uh, and you make it fair for everyone, and, and the natural extension of that is to ensure that if you can play at home, you know, you are able to do so unless there's completely, you know, sort of quite clear circumstances where you can't. And I think it's quite clear that that, that there is there's nothing to stop this victory going ahead of Goodison other than sort of scaremongering. And, um, and and as I said last week it seemed inconsistent at Liverpool being able to play two home games I think at Anfield things being guaranteed. Yeah we can't play the Derby but it just seems a little bit inconsistent. So yeah it's 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 a victory for common sense. Um and, um, you know, maintains the integrity of the league. Whether it's based on previous experience, home advantage, means a lot to us in a derby, is a completely different question. But in terms of the integrity and other other clubs and what they, you know, know, what comes out of it for them, I think it's important.
1: Preno, a lot of the talk now is about the protocols that have been given to the football clubs um, about how these games have to be managed, how they have to be uh, secure how they have to be um, zoned off, and how the allocations of various people—you know, maximum of three hundred people inside the grounds. How that's going to work? Y- you know, the, the inside of Goodison probably better than than most. <laughs> and and um, can you can you give the listeners an idea of of the physical challenges? I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head—you know, the tunnel for for one. Yeah. The physical challenges that the, the, the football club, people like Dave Lewis, you know, head of security, etc., have got to go into the planning to make Goodison. Well, they've obviously said they'll, how they're going to do it, Goodison: biosecure, safe, socially distanced in the right areas. It's it's a challenge that not all clubs will face.
0: No, it's uh, it's very very difficult. I mean, uh, they'll have taken the lead from what's been happening in the Bundesliga and La Liga. Uh, where I mean, the German clubs have actually been using three different coaches to transport their t- playing squads and teams to football matches to enable them to be you know, socially distant on board the coaches. I mean, that's how extreme it is. So, you know, normally uh, a derby match, the... The psychology starts to play, you know, as soon as those teams leave the dressing room, or as soon as the teams arrive at Goodison Park, with the stewards having a little, you know, sort bit of banter, a bit of a joke, with the fans gathering in the streets to give a bit of flack to the, uh, the Liverpool players as they turn up, and then in the tunnel where the players are stood side by side eyeballing each other and trying to score psychological points. And I still recall uh, the Goodison derby last year when, you know, the famous air raid siren was used for the first time and yeah. the image of Jordan Henderson's face as he stood in the tunnel and the air raid siren is played and you can just see him thinking, wow, what's going on out there? And what's this all about? And I'm not suggesting that, you know, played a part in his performance at sort all of that day or, you know, sort of lifted Everton, you know, to enable them to take points off Liverpool the last points they dropped all season, Uh, by the way. But those kind of things can't happen on this occasion. The players are unlikely to be able to stand side by side in the tunnel. You would imagine, you know, so one team would walk out first with, you know, sort of two metres in between each player. Seems a bit weird given that they're going to be in very close proximity on the pitch, you so at the time. But these are the measures that they've been given and they have to adhere to. So it's going to be a very, very, very strange experience all round. Football, but not football as we know it, I mean, I mean personally, I've been to every single Goodison Park derby match since 1992 was the last one I missed, and you know I won't be there uh, under one a week on Sunday uh, because I mean media are suffering. I think we're getting 25. written press places in total for every single branch of the media. Uh, We still don't know, you know, so how many at the Echo we're going to be allowed in there. Normally we'll have seven or eight reporters trying to bring, you know, so every element of uh, Everton and Liverpool's performance, that's going to be, you know, so seriously truncated. Uh, So it's just going to be an entirely different landscape to what we're used to. and uh, We don't know how it's going to play out, you know, so during the action itself. Um, I'm a little bit concerned because I think the Goodison atmosphere plays a part uh, on Derby Day's, um, and the absence of an atmosphere, I'm sure we don't know is a simple answer, but I suspect it may aid Liverpool fractionally more than it would aid Everton. But I'm guessing, you know, so we just don't know what's going to happen on the day. Uh, but yes, an awful lot of challenges uh, for the uh, administrators and the powers that be uh, to overcome uh, a week on Sunday, and um, with it being the first match back as well, you know, it's, a, it, it's it's a strange one. But they're going to have to do it, and we'll have to sit and watch it on our television screens at home and see how it all pans out.
2: The Royal Blue Podcast from the
1: Liverpool Echo.
3: Sam,
1: people, a few people have said to me, you know, will I be going? I said, well, hopefully, we're waiting to find out, et cetera. Um, but they've also said to me, what do you think it's going to be like? And I said, well, of course, we don't we don't know. But I said, the only way I can sort of try and um, have a sort of a, a, a comparison or any sort of precedent is those Monday nights, and you've been there plenty of times, when it's an under-23s game, <laughs> under, the, under the lights at Goodison, but... There is probably about three hundred people in the ground.
3: Definitely, yeah. I think I remember one uh, a checker trade one where I think uh, there must have been about fifty people there as well. And it was, <laughs> I got there an hour early because I thought it was a seven o'clock kickoff and stood there while I was lashing down the park end. Um, <laughs> <Yeah.
0: so> that <laughs> that's that honour that, for that. <laughs> yeah,
3: um, yeah, that no, is it's a good comparison actually, and it's weird, isn't it? Because you know, for anyone who's been to under twenty-three games as well, there They'll, they'll know. You can often hear. I'd say you can hear uh, Unzi shouting, but I think you could probably hear Unzi shouting over forty thousand people sometimes. <laughs> you know, you can, you can certainly hear the the lads talking to each other and shouting to each other, and you know, you hear it all, don't you? Remember the uh, in Morgan Feeney telling a few refs to to f off a couple of times as well. So you know, you will, you'll get all that, won't you? I think at the moment we're watching it in Germany, and it's all just kind of it's like white noise almost, isn't it? To, unless you your German's pretty spot on, then we don't really know what they're saying, but we're going to be kind of privy to that. And, and those people in the stadium will be yeah, privy to that as well. I'm not sure what they're kind of planning on on Sky in terms of you know, adding crowd noise and things like that. But in terms of that kind of thing inside the ground, it's just what a surreal moment it's going to be for, for those people who are, who are lucky enough to, to be in there. And, you know, you won't be looking down at an Everton under 18 and an Everton under 23. You know, you're going to be seeing... Richarlison and, and Jordan Pickford and, and, and these lads who've played in, in World Cups and, and things like that. So what a what a bizarre experience I uh, mm. think it's gonna be, but definitely a a, a good comparison uh, for the for the under twenties.
0: There'll be a real challenge for yeah. the players as well, you know, to try and I, you, know, you don't need motivating for a Premier League match against your closest rivals, but without the, you know any crowd in there, how is it going to affect them? I was talking about this the other day. Uh, somebody called me to ask about Jordan Pickford this season, and uh, I, you know, as I, I people who listen to the podcast know, I'm a big fan. I don't you know sort of beat him up quite as much as uh, some other you know sort of Evertonians do, uh, but I think will the absence of a crowd in there actually help Jordan a little bit? Uh, you know, the issues he's had have been. And he gets too involved sometimes in uh, the emotion of matches and allows the crowd sometimes to affect his judgment. Will he be better for the absence of a crowd? We don't know. So many imponderables that uh, we're going to have to encounter for this. And uh, we won't know the answers until, you know, nine o'clock on a Sunday night. Gav, I I wrote um,
1: a column about this a few weeks. And Carlo Carlo's not been paying lip service since he joined. He genuinely understands how important the Goodison crowd are to the performances of the team. And he understands what the extra percentage of Goodison behind the players yeah. can bring. We all saw his reaction on the day he was appointed, uh, sat up in the director's box with, with Farhad and Bill and, and mouthing, wow, you know, when he heard the reaction. How does he, as the most experienced, decorated manager in the Premier League, how does he use every drop of his experience and try to mitigate in any way the lack of fans inside the ground? How can he how can he do more for the players? How can he motivate them a little bit more when they haven't got the backing of thirty odd thousand blues?
2: Uh, it's, it's a good question. I would say some of the Carlos experience, would he need to motivate the players by using the crowd? Wouldn't he have a full whole deck of motivational tools without needing mm-hmm. the crowd anyway. That's why he's been so successful across several different leagues and several different teams, isn't it, really? it's not. It's, I wouldn't say it's any of his successes down, say, you know, at Bayern Munich, we're playing Wolfsburg tonight,
1: you
2: know? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, they take you know, they let the crowd take it there. I think Carlo would need to do that, really. He's experienced enough and wily enough and it's got all the tools, I would say, to motivate players, whether they're playing in front of 300 spectators or 100,000 spectators. I don't think it would be an issue for them whatsoever. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I agree. I, I think the problem is more on the player's side. Mm. And, and I, I'm in, like, the sort of uh, court that says that some players may actually benefit from it by not having a crowd there in terms of, you know, sticking, sort of feeling the pressure. So mm-hmm. I think, and some players, some players need the clouds when they're on the pitch, as a you know, on, on certain points in the games too, to sort of um, motivate themselves or to drive them forward. um So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But Carlo won't our players, yeah. But Carlo won't need, won't be a problem for Carlo. We'll have uh, he'll be able to motiv- motivate the players in any uh, any situation.
1: Sam, is is there any any player? Gav Gav suggests there that there may be players who benefit from um, no crowd, and, and obviously, you know, sometimes Goodison can be an unforgiving uh, environment. Is there any player do you think you may benefit from uh, from uh, no fans inside the ground?
3: I don't know. You know, I think the fans always play. You know, I think we've all been there, especially in the the dying embers of Martinez and Cumin. You know, for times of Alldays and the back end of Silverware. You no, know, Goodison can be hostile, and and maybe your kind of weaker mentality players might might not thrive under that. But that's not really the situation at the moment. I think Goodison at this stage, if you know if, if things had gone a different way and we were getting fans back into the stadium for Liverpool game, I think everyone would have got a kick out of that. and I think it's really difficult uh, in terms of the Liverpool game just by itself. You know, they, they are the best team. In the Premier League at the moment, and one of the best teams in the world, so you know you need that twelfth man, you need that uh, need that extra little bit of support. So I, I can't really think of anyone who uh, who wouldn't. I don't I don't really agree with the with the Pickford thing either. I think um, you know he, he still thrives off that crowd pressure. I think you know that Newcastle game seemingly uh, you know was obviously a bad one, but I've I've seen him also you know have really good games when when the atmosphere has been kind of running high. So. I think that there could be some other... I think it'll just be interesting to see, can we get ourselves out of that that gear? You know, the, you put out 11 lads who, who you're thinking they'll probably play against Liverpool in the next few games down on paper. You know, we've, we've got a, a decent team, but I don't think anyone could argue, you know, apart from a few players, we're better than, than mid-table at this moment in time. And I think sometimes it has been that little goodness and kick that's been driving us on. So, you know, I'm a little bit... I'd say I'm more kind of pensive about about not having fans and, and seeing how our players react when it is just 11 against 11. There's no intimidation, there's no crap to give you that little boost in the, in the final minutes or whatever like that. So, yeah, I'd say it's the opposite, really. Interesting. Preno, um,
1: just over, what, nine days until the game, or, or give or take. Um, Carlo's preparations uh, cannot be classed as ideal, can they? Uh So, adding to obviously the news we knew about, JP Gabarman set back, Yeri Mina we knew about. News at the start of this week, Theo Wolcott is going to be sidelined for four weeks, having uh, undergone abdominal surgery. Uh, Andre Gomez is missed training this week, hoping to be back in training next week. But of course, you know, a question mark over him. And similar sentiment for Fabian Delph, missed summer training this week. And again, a question mark at this stage (coughs) over him for next weekend. Um,
0: It's not ideal, is it? (laughs) <laughs> that's an understatement no it's uh it's worrying to be perfectly honest um the, the fabian delf news was, was sort of like half expected given his injury record i saw a couple of people on twitter like you know joking before the injury uh just wait until Delph's announced and sure enough that that was the one that came out uh but the other players it, it i think it is misfortune um it's just seems so galling that you know so liverpool have had such a a trouble-free preparation you know all their injured players have suddenly been restored to fitness even the goalkeeper who was injured when the lockdown started is available again now whereas quite the opposite you know we haven't played any games and yet we've still managed to lose key figures in key positions um no it's not ideal um the the counter is that you know uh A player missing, you know, it's an opportunity for another player. You know, so does Bernard get an opportunity now that, you know, Theo Walcott's out? Will it Wobi get a chance? Uh, We don't know. Uh, I certainly hope that Gomez is wrapped in cotton wool. We can't afford to lose another central midfielder. And certainly one of the quality, you know, that he has desperately hope he's okay. Uh, But no, it's uh, problems that Carlo Ancelotti has to try and contend with. Um, it highlights again, you know, the, the frailties and the vulnerabilities that the squad's been exposed to throughout the season. You know, we've spoken about it before, but you know, we were playing quite a dangerous game going into the season with the uh, only three, you know, full first choice centre halves. And uh, you know, sure enough, you know, the, probably the player who's probably in the best form, or maybe not, I don't know. Maybe Mason Harge's probably been in best form, but Yeri Mina, who certainly is, you know, sort of best partner, to go missing, and suddenly Michael Keane's you know, sort of thrown back into the fray. Michael Keane worries me a little bit. with uh, with no crowd. There, you know, I just is his concentration levels. You know, so sort of okay, would the crowd help him? Again, an imponderable that we don't know about. Uh, but it's it's a worry. It's a worry for me certainly. Um, we've overcome these problems in the past. You know, we've been into derby matches uh, with problems and overcome them a long time ago. Now, admittedly, uh, but it, it concerns me. I, I can't disguise the fact.
1: Gav, um, on of the last week's pods we talked about who would be given opportunities now that managers have, uh, have got the use uh, of five subs now I think Anthony Gordon was mentioned we spoke about Moyes Keane but I, I immediately thought of Anthony when the Theo Cup news came out that Theo won't play against Liverpool and probably won't play against Norwich would you start Anthony Gordon next Sunday against Liverpool <laughs>
2: yeah uh, good question again Phil Um Probably not.
1: Okay.
2: I don't know what our, our options would be. You... Depends what's our options out wide, right? Wolby doesn't really like playing there, I believe. I'm not sure that's the case. Um, you're then forced into playing. If you want to play Vitalis in there, well, would you want to play Vitalis up front? Where keen there, maybe not ideal. We've got the out and out left winger, Guilfi Sigurdsson. Guilfi, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you know, so there's not, there's a case for him. Yes, it's but is that too negative? I don't know. Um, there's not an ideal scenario there in any, you know, in, in, in any four or five options. So it, it's a, it's, it's a pit, part of the pitch we are, where we are under resourced now. I think that's being acknowledged. Um, I'm looking at an area that we definitely need to strengthen. So there's a case for them on the basis that maybe there's no parent ready made substitute. But against that there's there's the experience side. Or what I was saying last week, fellas, well, why don't we throw minutes? It's, it's there's no spectators there. It's 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 not a not a you know, it's not it's no. not proper derby in front of forty odd thousand people watching and screaming their heads off. You know, we spoke about it being like an under twenty three game in some respects, that would be a far better quality experience. So you, you could say yeah, and yeah. there's a case for it. But I, I suspect Carlo will be one one first game baffle. Won't want somebody a little bit more experienced. Who that is, you, you don't know. It depends what's going to happen the next week. It depends what's going to happen in the middle of the pitch as well. You can come back from injury or not. As
1: well. well, yeah, exactly. the the other, the other thing of of when I was I was thinking about the potential permutations um, over who could play right wing. Was it, it quickly came to the, dawned on me that Richarlison is probably not only our best centre-forward, not only our best left-winger, he's also our best right-winger.
3: Well, I think it's probably a case of he'd be our best player wherever you put him, in the end, the way he kind of plays. Mm. I think I remember one game this season where he chased back and was winning the ball back in, in holding midfield and things like that. So I generally wouldn't mind seeing them seeing anywhere if, if we absolutely had to but I think it would probably be I don't know we, we all want to see Anthony Gordon do well but what what an occasion that, that would be but also it would be the kind of it would be a gamble that I think could, could kind of work as well you know he'd be going out there I think sometimes we've definitely played Liverpool with that little bit of fear and he, he wouldn't have any of that so um, with Walcott out I don't know, you know, I know Chris Beasley wrote about it yesterday and, you know, it is staggering that we've used seven players in, in that position this season. You know, I think you forget the Jibril Sidderby has had a stint at right midfield. Tom Davis played right midfield against Arsenal. Um, you know, Mois Keane has had a go there as well. Just, just so many different names, but I, I would probably think it might just come a little bit too soon. I, I definitely expect to see Gordon start a couple of the games towards the end of the season, you know, providing we are nice and healthy in, in mid-table, but I think for now, you're probably looking at it being Bernard, maybe will be or uh, as Preno said, the the lightning pace of, of Gilfie Sigurdsson reading down the right.
1: <laughs> okay, we uh, we shall see. Uh, final part of the pod before we wrap up. A little bit of contract news, a little bit of transfer news I want to get the lads' uh, thoughts on. Um, Martin Stecklenberg in line for a short-term extension to cover the remainder of the season. Happy with that?
2: Yeah, a bit like the Leighton Baines one makes a lot of sense, and in this current environment, so yeah, no no issues for me on that one, Phil. Any objections? No, the just,
0: you know. nah, likewise, um, it's a no brainer really. You know, he's got experience; he's played lots of first team football for Everton. You know, he's he's reliable cover should anything happen to Jordan Pickford uh, in, in the short term. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're taking a gamble if you're. Throwing Jai Virginia in there, or you know, can we? Is he is he back from yeah. loan, or is he? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, you're taking a gamble, and aren't you? If you're throwing him straight in, so no, absolutely no, you know, queries or quibbles about that one at all.
3: Sam, I think it's it's difficult, isn't it, in in this market? Uh, I think we've spoken about it, but it is difficult to to find a player who uh, has ultimately played in a in a World Cup final back in back in 2010 for Holland. So mm. you know, he he's got that experience. You know, if if anything. You know, it is quite incredible now that Pickford, the think, has played approaching three seasons, isn't it, without missing a, a Premier League game. So, you know, it's very unlikely that anything will happen to Jordan, but... Oh, shush. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know big is is still a, a reliable and experienced option, I think, to to have for this running, which which could ultimately, you know, when all this kind of city rulings and stuff is going on, it's still, you know, and, and extra places could be... Available, depending on what happens to them for for Europe. You know, you you're gonna need your your squad if if things kind of, as Everton have already seen if if anything unfortunate does happen. So good good to have him on a short term deal. And at the end of the day, I, I think he obviously does have his sights on maybe returning to Holland, and it, it doesn't yeah. look like he will get an extra year. But it'll be interesting to see what we do with our goalkeepers in, in the summer because if Lossell comes back as two, we we might still need to sign another one to be third choice if. We want to keep developing Virginia. So, definitely want to keep our eye on this summer.
1: Um, Sadibi Everton in talks over hopefully extending his loan for the short term to cover the season. Um, But his future beyond that looks in doubt. The club have allowed the option to buy him uh, to expire. Um, That's a smart move, Gav, given that the pre agreed fee was something uh, close to 13 million.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think um, Sadibi. Jory's out for me, but yeah, in terms of short-term deal, not 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 a problem for me. Phil, to be yeah. to be fair,
0: yeah. Um, Sorry, Gareth. Uh, Jory's back in for me, and uh, I think that we won't be signing him permanently. He's been okay on occasions. He's shown flashes of quality going forward, but you know, rather worrying lapses of concentration defensively. Uh, but we're not exactly blessed with numbers in those positions, so yeah, you know, it makes absolute sense to extend a short-term deal to him. Uh, to see us through until the end of the season, and beyond that, I would like to think that we'll be uh, exploring the transfer market for you know so better quality acquisitions. Um, John Joe Kenny's done okay. I'm led to believe in a, in the Bundesliga, but I'm still not sure that's a long term option for fullback. So another position that you know Carlo Ancelotti will have to worry about uh, this summer. Gav, sorry mate, I interrupted you there. Go on.
2: No, no, I was gonna say talking about the Derby, I was just I just struck me there there's a case for playing Sadeb in the Derby is up Liverpool's pace is down the flanks isn't it from fullbacks. Mm. You know, we are talking about Anthony Gordon and stuff, whether that would come into the Carlos selection uh Would you would you want to put Anthony Gordon up against uh Andrew Robertson when you bought Sadebe there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a plan, I would maybe be a bit kind on Sidibe there. I think that you could you could do a whole podcast on our right back position, couldn't you, mm. really, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Sam, any any objections to Sidibi getting extension to cover cover the final nine game well, seven games it'll be after he's
3: no, contract. no I think it's the same the same both as to Kellenberg, isn't it? We're gonna and certainly with DB he'll probably play a, a, a decent part, I'd say, probably still get a few more games in, but certainly from from what we were seeing, I'd say maybe that last month or six weeks uh maybe of of the season before kind of lockdown and the suspension of the season I, I don't think too many people would be in the boat of uh, of extending it past the season unless you know options really are slim and we think that sending Kenny back to the Bundesliga for another season is 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 the option and we do another loan for Sadibi but even that I'm just not sure I think at this point I'd probably be in the boat of Coleman and Kenny you know if if the market is going to be tough this summer Coleman and Kenny give them give Kenny a fair crack of the whip and then and then we we assess it again at the end of next season, whenever that may be.
1: Indeed. Okay, last one. Uh interesting link popped up last night that Nice are interested in Morgan Schneidling. Our understanding is Gav that yes there have been discussions but they didn't go anywhere for now. Um there's been some talk in France in L'Equipe this morning that Everton have been asking for somewhere in the region of eight to ten million euros for Schneiderlin. i I would be absolutely I'd be thrilled th- with that for Schneidling th-
2: th- this is what you know, when you think unexpected the headlines that you, you know that you weren't expecting to see. This is definitely one of them, isn't it? The mm. some reason Morgan's wages are prohibitive, Andy aren't they? Aren't they, you know, reported to be they say five, six million a year. Last year was contract as well, isn't it? Um, whether not Ready as one in those positions, eight 10 million is a fair place anyway for somebody who spent 24 million quid on whatever 20 million quid on. Um, and yeah, unexpected headline, that, Bill. Mm. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where that goes. You can yeah. see because of his wages, you can see we just want to get him off the wage bill. Yes. And say was five or six million quid a year, and then go for nothing. that would seem to me to be the the obvious, the, the only obvious sort of way out, really, for you and on even. We spoke lots of times about the difficulty of me about getting our high-wage high yeah. gain off the books. Um, Morgan's one of them. Um, the only way I can see Armin is if we don't have a transfer thing, to be fair. There could be options for him with our central defensive, you know, midfield, yeah. being short sure
1: on numbers, potentially. Interest them yeah. on that. Preno, are um, you surprised to see uh, a club being linked with buying Schneidlin, not, not, not just trying for a low move, but, but looking to potentially uh, to buy him?
0: Not, not surprised, no, because, um, you know, he does enjoy a certain reputation in the game. I'm not so sure he's, uh, he's lived up to that reputation during his time at Everton. And I've, you know, heard my views many times on here. I'd drive him to Nice tomorrow. And uh, that's quite a long old drive as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so You've you, you um, probably done that drive, Brennan. I have done Atlanta. it, actually. Yes, I have done it. <laughs> uh, in 24 hours, in, in one day. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's a guy that's like just frustrated me so much during his time at Everton. 18 appearances this season. Uh, some good, some very, very poor. He uh, just can't seem to get any degree of consistency from him, and for a fellow who commands the wages that he does, um, I, I really do think we need to be looking to move him on as you know as quickly as we can. Um, sods law that we probably do need him at the moment uh, in terms of you know just bodies, you know, but we're so light at the moment in central midfield, especially if Gomez and Delph are both you know so sort of struggling for next week. But long term, no, I mean I, th- I think we need to move him off the books because of his wage situation, and if that means. Moving him on a free transfer, so be it. I think eight to ten million euros is being quite ambitious. To be perfectly honest, uh, I know the club do try and drive a hard bargain whenever they can in the transfer market, but in these circumstances, I'd be inclined to maybe just cut your losses and, uh, and and try and accept just the fact that he will move on and do a job somewhere else and just lose that wage off the bill that you can then you know so use somewhere else. Sam, so
1: am so confident that Marcel can do his work, his magic, and get a fee for Schneiderlin
3: hopefully I think as Preno said especially in, in French I'd like to think he still does command a, a certain degree of of respect but certainly what he's shown here over the last couple of seasons hasn't hasn't been good enough and but it is another one that you know as, as you said Phil it was quite surprising to see that last night because at the way we are at the moment just what what kind of midfield we'll be going into next season you, you could be going into a new season with a whole new midfield or you know or not, you know, we could be going into it with Delft, Davies, Diggitson. I suppose we do have the, the numbers there to, to do it when, when Jabamon's back from injury. But, you know, as as Delph shown this week, giving us that kind of injury scare, you know, you don't know what his long-term kind of fitness is going to be like. You know, Jabamon already will be waiting on him, it team. So, to, for us to be selling midfield, if we do kind of strike some kind of agreement, if, if Nisha nice return back to the, the bidding table and, and strike an agreement, then... That certainly indicates that we'll be returning to the market, doesn't it, for, for a central midfielder? And you'd think that Marcel would, would have someone lined up before he'd sanction the kind of experienced player uh, leaving like that. So hopefully th- th- there's a lot more magic to come.
1: Indeed, chaps, uh, we will uh, finish there. We've uh, done the best part of uh, an hour. So power hour on the Royal Blue podcast on this Friday and just over a week before football returns. Uh, Thank you very much for your company. Really enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. This has been the Royal Blue podcast.
2: You've been listening to
1: the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.